with all not your truth or kindness, Lord. With all not your truth or kindness, Lord. Welcome to The Notice, where together we notice the mercy of God. I'm Susan Hookstra, your host. The Notice Podcast explores our need for validation and affirmation through biblical musings and conversations with special guests. Experience relevant topics and encouragement as we take notice of how the God of mercy satisfies. On this episode of The Notice, with racial tensions erupting in our country, are you at a loss of what to do? Are you concerned your words may offend? How do we celebrate diversity? Listen in as we hear some racial stories, encourage our brothers and sisters of colors, hear a new song, and take notice of three ways we can respond to racial tensions. Growing up in a low socioeconomic Detroit neighborhood in the 1970s wasn't easy. Race riots were prevalent. For protection, each member of my family had their own baseball bat and a rifle was positioned underneath our parents' bed. Break-ins and fights were commonplace and racial segregation birthed. Once the busing started, houses quickly went up for sale and I watched my neighborhood change overnight. In ninth grade, the high school's racial profile was 70% white and 30% black. But by the time I graduated just four years later, the percentage is nearly reversed, 20% white and 80% black. Unfortunately, life at school was rather unsafe. At least two police cars patrolled the campus regularly and entrances were blocked by officers scanning for knives and guns. At football games, the police escorted the marching band out at halftime because fights consistently broke out. And if you were white and a girl with long hair, you learned to avoid going to the bathroom alone since it was common for girls to hide in the stalls, surprise you with scissors, and cut your hair off. And I vividly remember a four foot eight gang member threatening me with a knife in between classes. Not sure how he got past the guards, but I do remember my response. I think it was survival instinct or something, but as I looked at his knife, I acted like I was impressed. I pretended I was excited about how cool the knife was, where he got it from, and how I could get one. Phew, I'm glad that strategy seemed to satisfy him. Then there was one winter morning. I left school early for a dentist appointment. As I exited the building to walk four blocks home, I sensed someone following me. Out of nowhere, three black girls hovered over me, taunting and mocking me, saying, let's go play with the snow. After they beat me up, they pushed me into a nearby pile of snow and moved on to the next target. As I painfully stumbled home, full of bruises and cuts, I wondered, what just happened? And then later that week, a student was shot in our cafeteria. Well, no one likes to go to school in fear, but these experiences taught me street smarts. Much like a goose who hisses when someone comes near, I took on a self-protective mode, watching over my shoulder, wondering when the next attack would happen. 
Even now, when in uncomfortable surroundings, I can feel that same radar switch go on. But ironically, when I look back on my high school days, I do remember some really good things. Many talented and dedicated teachers filled the classrooms. Academically, they prepared me for college with sincere determination, regardless of violent distractions. Circumstances aside, they taught me what it meant to be responsible for my own education. But if we're honest, our focus in high school was seldom about academic classes. Making friends, dating, and extracurricular activities were essential for building a social life and finding a place to fit in. Since music was my passion, hanging out in the band room became my safe space. Not only was it a respite from the violence in the rest of the school, but having the talent affirmed me. And so did my band director. A musically gifted, loyal, fun-loving prankster, everyone loved him. He made music come alive and encouraged the discipline which comes from learning an instrument. Personally, he recognized my talent and encouraged me to do things outside of school to inspire me. I recall an early Saturday morning stop at the music store where he helped me pick out my new clarinet and the extracurricular concerts and contests he drove me to. He even introduced me to the administrative side of being a band director and showed me how fun it was to reach my musical goals. He was the kind of person that when you were around him, you felt as though he only noticed you, but he was also helpful to everyone. He did seem a little drawn to those of us without a father though. And so he became my male role model and father figure. You know, I just wanted to be like him. I even decided to go to college to become a band director. So one afternoon, while practicing during a study hall, he asked to see me in his office. Typically, you didn't receive this kind of invitation unless you did something wrong, so I was confused. As I stepped into his office, he nervously explained the conversation he had just had with the principal who informed him about the black girls beating me up. The incident about the girls playing with the snow I mentioned earlier. At first, I was puzzled by his inquiry. The initial questions implied I might be lying about the incident. I couldn't believe it. Here I was, leaving school for a dentist appointment, and I walk outside the school only to get beat up for no apparent reason except that I was white? And now here I'm being questioned? Really? The weird thing is, I didn't really want anyone to know. I guess I was embarrassed. I wasn't one to cause trouble or call attention to myself, and honestly, I was a little worried about their retribution if I did tell. Besides, with so much going on at my school, I didn't think anyone would actually take notice. So what good did it do to bring it up? Remember folks, this was Detroit. It was common to get beat up. But I have to admit, this time it was different. I was beaten up solely due to my skin color. The racial tension at the school was so thick, the last thing I wanted to do was turn this into another race issue. But it was. As I continued to share my story, I felt like I was part of a scene in a movie. I guess trauma does that to people. Although I was relieved he finally believed me, I really expected to get scolded. Instead, words of affirmation and wisdom flowed out of him. He said, Susan, I understand what happened to you was wrong, and you have cause to be angry and fearful. 
But this is also an amazing opportunity. You know why? Because you have a choice. You get to decide how you're going to respond. Will you let this change you? Will you let this incident alter your perceptions of people of color? You actually have the power to make that decision. But I'm going to encourage you. Do not let what happened to you dictate how you will feel about all blacks. Believe in yourself first and then the goodness of others, regardless of skin color. Take each person for who they prove themselves to be. Aggressiveness and determination are two of your personality's outstanding qualities. Don't let anyone, black, white, male, female, cheat you out of those. Friends, life-giving words are sweet to the soul, especially when given by someone you look up to and trust. The power that was ripped from me from those girls that day became the actual power that changed me. But as a white woman, how should I respond? Do I assume all black people are out to get me? Could I live in fear that someone is around the corner waiting to hurt me because of my race? Frankly, those thoughts never crossed my mind. I was still dwelling on the truth that I had some power. I actually had the power to decide how I was going to respond. So why was I so open to his advice? One, because you did feel powerless. But because this man had already proven himself to me, I knew he was for me. He was like a notice-me gift from God. He took notice of a young white woman without a dad living in the crazy world of racial tension. A girl without a fan club. Friends, he was a person of color. As I reflect on the racial issues facing our nation and these unnecessary deaths, my heart breaks. Sin is ugly. This level of evil transcends a simple attack and can't help but result in righteous anger. So I do understand the response from the black community, and I'm truly sorry you are experiencing this pain. But I also admit, I can only understand the pain from a distance. Evil is so painful to wrap my arms around. Although I experience racism a little differently, I still remember dwelling on my band director's words. We do have a choice on how we're going to respond. So how will you respond? Will you get angry? Will you be afraid to speak? Or will you further ignite the issue? As we ponder our response, I wonder, I wonder what my life would have been like had I not had that one person speaking truth into it. I wonder what influence I have to implement change in someone else's life. I also wonder how much influence our social media posts have. Sometimes our opinions may come across as criticism, complaints, rants, and even accusations. What does this accomplish? Are these opinions life-giving? Do they express the heart of God? Proverbs 18.21 reminds us, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And Proverbs 10.19 tells us, when words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. So as I do a podcast on racial tension, I admit I need help. 
I need help from God to restrain my lips and speak life into others. Race is such a sensitive, controversial issue. It's personal. I'm prepared for someone to disagree with what I'm saying or accuse me of just speaking platitudes. But here on The Notice, we encourage each other to take notice. Taking notice means this kind of injustice cannot be tolerated. We cannot simply look the other way. Malachi 2.10 tells us, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So let's take notice. Let's notice how powerful our words can be, keeping in mind that the words we say can resonate with a person for life. And to my brothers and sisters of color out there, take notice. God sees you. He notices you. He sees the injustice. And he notices your righteous anger and understands why you are weary from the fight. He even understands why you may be questioning him right now. So go ahead. Keep asking him those tough questions. He understands unfairness like no one else. In fact, he fought for it. He even died for it. As you do, you'll take notice. You'll see God is there noticing you, noticing your hurt, anger, and powerlessness, even if us white folks may not fully understand. Perhaps another way we can take notice is to remember that God promises to hold people accountable and he promises to make things right. Yeah, you might say, right, Susan, but when? I don't know. Perhaps we may not see this change the side of heaven or before the millennial reign of Christ. Perhaps Lecrae describes it best when he says, Lazarus was dead for a few days. Sometimes the miracle takes a while. But be encouraged. Eternity is a long time. And in God's perfect plan, our time here is just a whisper. Although God shows us some of his goodness to us now, he doesn't reveal all of himself. That's for later at the Feast of the Lamb. So what can we do in the meantime? Do we fight? Do we discuss the issues out loud? How do we live this out? My dear brothers and sisters, I think God is challenging us right now. Could he be asking us to step into a deeper level of trust in him? The kind of trust that invites you to be patient in the wait? Lamentations 3.26 tells us, It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Friends, he will make it right. Can we live in that hope, the hope which transcends and prepares us to wait for the deliverance of the Lord? From what I can tell, it may not be deliverance time just yet. So as we wait, let's celebrate. Celebrate who you are and the diversity in all of us. Let's not assume all blacks are a certain way or all whites are a certain way. We are unique creations. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul wrote, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The original Greek word for workmanship is poimia, literally meaning a poem or a work of art. Friends, you are God's work of art. 
Like a beautiful poem, he put considerable thought into the rhyme and rhythm of your life. Psalms 139 tells us that he knows every hair upon your head and knows what you're going to say before you even say it. Can you pause to think about that for a moment? As God's work of art, he put more thought into your creation than Michelangelo did painting the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Your creator thought more about the details in crafting you than Robert Frost did on all his poems combined or Beethoven did on his nine symphonies. You are his workmanship. Believe it. Receive it. The ultimate validation and affirmation we receive is God noticing us, and he takes pleasure in his creation. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, when your father looks at you, he sees beauty and greatness. He doesn't see sin or shame. He doesn't assume the worst about you the way white privilege may imply. Simply put, to be a masterpiece means you are a piece of the master. As a God who celebrates uniqueness, he honors you. Even as a creator, he created over 200 dog breeds, over 60,000 species of trees, and over 250,000 types of flowers. Friends, God is diversity. We need to value what God values. Lastly, share. Share the message. As my band director shared the principle of free will with me, I changed. Truth has a way of doing that. Perhaps the most powerful thing we can do is what changes the world the most, the gospel. So if you're listening to this podcast and don't even know what the gospel is, we have good news. The gospel tells us that despite falling short of God's standards, also known as sin, And we all sin. When we believe Jesus took the penalty for that sin on the cross, we are forgiven and free. We are free to celebrate and take notice of all God is doing. Friends, it's the gospel that changes a heart. Without heart transformation, everything else we say may merely be noise. Pastor Alistair Beggs mentioned in his recent sermon these words. In Ephesians 6, Paul addresses believers speaking to them in the social context in which they find themselves. And his responsibility is not to disrupt that environment, but is instead to show them the difference that the gospel makes. You see, the gospel is the answer to slavery. The gospel is the only answer, actually. The gospel is the answer to human trafficking. The gospel is the answer to the upside-down world morally in which we presently live. You see, because at the end of the day, the real transformative work in a nation is a transformation of the gospel. So as God transforms our hearts, we can't help but take notice. We can't help but live out the kingdom principles of love and respect. We can't help but embrace and celebrate his masterpieces. So in closing, I'd like to end our time together with a song I recently wrote. This song emerged as I listened to a sermon from Pastor Sammy Abadi of Soma City Church in Toledo, Ohio, a man of color. His words softened my heart to these issues. 
His words encourage me to love others where they are at and recognize the impact of the life-changing gospel. Thank you. Also, a big thank you to another Sam, Sam Trago, the vocalist in this recording who took the time to tape the song for this podcast. What a great reminder of how hearts bond when we come together. My prayer is that it will be life-giving words to you. It's called Masterpiece. It's not favor that we search for, nor our politics to and sisters of color, you are a masterpiece. 
a piece of the master. Together, let's wait and hope for God's deliverance as we celebrate diversity and share the gospel to a hurting world. If you are deeply impacted by current events, be reassured that you are being prayed for. The notice validates you by, of course, acknowledging your human right to your experiences and the power of choice. At the same time, please know how God affirms you in all kinds of creative ways. So as you fight the good fight, may you not get weary and instead take notice. Next time on The Notice, are you coasting through life on autopilot without a clear sense of direction? Has society's definition of success left you empty and striving for more? Isn't it time to notice God at his word and step into the life you were created to live? So tune in for our, my next episode where I talk with Lucy Ann Costa Quattro, author of the book Strategic Faith. We discuss the struggles of complacency and how noticing God's strategies will help us live a life beyond limitations. Until next time, take care. Oh